Welcome to Your Creativity this week. I'm Steve. I'm Dylan. And tonight, we or today, whenever you listen, I mean, it could be one or two in the morning, who knows. So, well, you know, this morning we have a special guest. We do. Terry Burden. How are you guys? Park City TV's Terry Burden. Yes, it is true. That is my great joy in life to make a television over there at the PCTV. So that's good. It's wonderful. Okay. Well, tell us about you. Okay. Have you, have you always been interested in television? That's Where did a, it start? Where did you grow up? That's a great question to encapsulate my, really my entire journey. Uh, I was born and raised in Clinton, Iowa, hard by the Mississippi River, as they say, as close as you can get to Chicago, Illinois, and be west of the Mississippi, and I spent 18 stable and uh, I suppose you could say predictable years of matriculation before I went to Des Moines, Iowa for continued studies at Drake University. And upon receiving my bachelor's degree, I further matriculated to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, where I sought and obtained a Master of Business Administration designation. And then I went into the world of work and professionalism and business and consulting. And I remember the most vivid early memory that I have of the other track in my head that's always been going was being at, I think it was a cousin's, and I'm young in the family, so an older cousin's wedding. At it was the, 30, 35. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they were a lot older, all of them. They were like, I was like a half a generation behind. I was a little, I like to credit my existence to the long-standing traditions of Catholic birth control. Ergo, I am. So thanks, thanks to my mom and dad, uh, I exist. And we were at the Shot Tower Inn uh, in Clinton, Iowa. And I remember being incredibly impatient with my mother because she was being too slow in complying with my demand that we get out on the dance floor immediately because <laughs> I had to cut a rug and I was all about that I was going to show off in my little eight-year-old mind and just, you know, rip the latest, greatest trends that were completely, I'm sure, <laughs> made up in my own mind, my own tiny little mind. But You did break dancing? Uh, you know... Breakdancing had not broken yet at that time. So, no, this is probably in the 70s. Disco. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, You're John Travolta. I was an early adopter, as they say in uh, management consulting. I was an early adopter on the Puka uh, uh, Shell trend. I will, I will admit that to you guys. Well, those are so, cool. They're still cool. I just always had to rock a little flair in what was otherwise a very, you know, middle class, 
staid sort of environment in, uh, yeah, in the Midwest in the 1970s. So uh, I, I, I worked for a long time after I got out of school, and I always managed to find a little something to do here or there. But the older I got, the more clear it was in my own mind. Where was that, your first job out of school? Uh, I spent about five minutes in Chicago. And um, a, a lot of college friends were there in, in, uh, in downtown Chicago. When so you I don't remember there. those days very well. Well, it was just <laughs> the thing about Chicago, Steve, it's, it's not the cold. It's the cold. It's definitely <laughs> the cold. It's all about so many varieties of the cold. And so I just didn't, I just didn't last in Chicago. And I managed to uh, uh, score a job in Atlanta and went down, and that was a really soft landing. I, had a, I have a brother who still lives there, and friends from school, and I knew some of his friends from school. So Atlanta days, most of my 20s in Atlanta, and yeah, I was, in, I was learning about how following the wrong path in life can be you know, a lot of psychic pain. But at the same time, I also played some great music and had a really wonderful time in Atlanta in the 90s. The 90s. 90s was a great time for music. It was. And, and in the South, Athens was, right, REM ruled the world. Oh, yes. Hootie and the Blowfish. Ah, you had to go there. You know that they were coming out. <laughs> you know that they were rocking. Hold my hand, Steve. Hold my hand. The rest of the chorus goes, hold my hand. Help me understand. Hold my hand. It's amazing stuff. It is deep. <laughs> I mean, it is like a lot totally of deep. No, those guys are great. Darius Rucker has made an amazing career. He does really cool stuff now. He's got an amazing voice, and he's definitely a great example of, you know, if you say one-hit wonders, that's the worst criticism you can come up with for some guys who sold like 17 million of one record. Yeah. Factory Review, I think it was called, or something like you that. You want to know a, a sad story? What's that? <laughs> okay, so growing up, I had a ton of surgeries. And during this time, in the 90s, mm -hmm. um, I had to go back in for surgery. They let me choose the music I listened to. It was Hootie and the Blowfish while I was having surgery. I had little headphones on, and yeah, I think it was that like cracked rear view or whatever yeah, the hell it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it probably it's probably the album. only album they, they did. I think they did another one that sold like literally like 800,000 copies and you know RCA or whoever they were, were on was just like you guys have a nice life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I woke up very refreshed after the surgery. Well that's so good. I, <laughs> I, I, I like, think it worked okay. It sounds like it was the gateway to a, a, a great period of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to music. The power of <laughs> Don't mock it. It's so music is your love. Man, it really is. I mean, I, I think first and foremost, I'm an entertainer, and that's. I think it's a genetic thing. My dad never had a chance to, to sort of do or be anything like that, or or, or uh, better to say that he never chose to. It, he was a free man for <laughs> the majority of his adult life, so he could have done things that he didn't do, but I definitely, I, I used to always say that I, I thought that my mom loved me so much just because we were so close and I was really respectful of her, and I was born on Mother's Day, so we kind of had that thing of like, 
you know, we're sort of what, bonded what that way. Like you're like, so you were always have like, you the met favorite, me, like, dude. You were, you're the favorite <laughs> child of your mom. Well, she did used to say, "I love you, Terrence Michael, because you laugh at all my jokes," which was a total dig at my my brother Mark, <laughs> who was like, you know, a junior in high school, and just like, you know, it's, it, even though it was the 1970s, the eye roll was like a you know required <laughs> equipment for the disaffected, you know, high school senior to be who's got everything going in his life, but oh mom, you're so dumb. Yeah, I would have been in the corner saying, we'll come up with better jokes. Yeah, yeah, write better jokes. Write funny jokes. <laughs> yeah, get a better writer. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, I always I always had that urge to perform and like I say, I, I always thought my mom loved me because I was so much like her. And I think she loved me as much as she did because I was the most like my dad and very outgoing. And I think that's the, you know, that's the guy she fell in love with and married and made a life with, made a whole family. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, my, I have nieces and nephews, the next generation. There's certainly some performers in there. My niece, Anna, plays uh, the cello for the Montreal Symphony. So she's a pretty focused uh, consumer of and producer of uh, You're all music, and there, it, it's really interesting. There is a lot of talent, but I kind of have shown myself to be sort of the branch sticking out in a different direction, as far as yeah, sort of having to be me. I just gotta be me, guys, <laughs> and uh, you know, getting really be, being becoming really fortunate to have it chance to do something that I never, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I never, you know, when I was a kid, even though I loved watching Johnny Carson, and we all loved Johnny Carson because he was born in Iowa. Now, he mostly grew up in, I think, in Lincoln. So he really, he's really a Nebraska kid, a Nebraska guy, but Iowa certainly claimed Johnny Carson. And so I remember, you know, watching, watching Johnny Carson, you know, laying on the floor in front of the TV with my dad, mostly. He would watch those show, you know. He would crack up at you know them, Joey Bishop and uh, Frank Sinatra and all those guys, you know, giving giving each other a hard time. George mm -hmm. Goebel, right? He'd just sit there and he like he he'd sort of say a joke and then he'd, he'd just like wait, and everybody was crying. They were laughing so hard and he just would never break, and he would just run the silence out and and then tell the next line and then everybody's completely on the floor i definitely remember that sort of thing about comedy and you know that what interviewing is the tonight show format that that's the thing um but i never thought wow that'd be a really cool job not once ever 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 i was too busy trying to figure out mostly what jimmy page was doing but um so how did we get you in utah how did you get here i like to I like to credit my presence to even get the Utah journey started as the the product of a of a seemingly, especially in retrospect, a, a, a series of concerted major mistakes. Uh, professionally, personally, I was I was digging a hole. <laughs> No, that's I'm I, I'm being silly and over dramatic. But I had been in California for quite a while between San Diego and L.A., and uh, I had a business that was 
not going to make it when the when the recession hit and so I was a little rootless and I had met a woman in San Diego who was from Utah so I came to visit and somehow it women kind of stuck yeah yeah that's there's a theme there but um, yeah it was still quite a while that I was in Utah a couple of years continuing on my road of commitment, really, to the concerted major mistake-making. Uh, that continued <laughs> for some time more. A series of unfortunate events. Yeah, that's to, always what I think of, and I always try to... I, that's what I do with this <laughs> sort of bit. That's really, I, you know, if somebody says, well, you know, how'd you end up, Tear? And really, that is sort of... You're the, still ending. Yeah, I'm just trying to make less mistakes, or major mistakes. I don't know, but if, if, yeah, you know, it sounds like your mistakes actually are good mistakes and turn out good, so you sh maybe you should make more. Maybe you're right, Steve. I think um, I, I, I agree, and, you know, you see, of course, in the age that we live in when um, priceless or priceful advice is administered in 30-second you know, doses, compliments of Mark Zuckerberg, but that, that idea of, yeah, try and fail and have courage. I think my parents came from an era when courage was getting, getting yourself and your family set up in a way that you could you know, be secure. Security was courage. Yeah. You have a real respect for um, a lot of the things that I bemoaned when I was younger because I always wanted to be who I am now. I always <laughs> wanted to get to do something, I don't know, fun and showboaty, I suppose. If I can use that word toward myself. But I have, a, like I say, I have a great respect for the, the ways in which my parents, who grew up on the farm and grew up very, very poor and, you know, just a scrap of kids, kids everywhere. Um, so to right, take it all the way forward to the present moment, I'm getting to sort of live out the the collective unconscious of fantasies of all of my forebears of of a kind of life that's about more than just security. It's about getting to come to a place like Utah that I never intended to be in, and all of a sudden things started going well for me <laughs> at the moment that I was not expecting anything, and so I'm just sort of trying to. You know, when uh, you judge it now, what is security? What is security to you? Oh man, Steve, man, the great questions keep coming. He's um, good. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> what is security? I, I think. And so, I preface that because yes. when you were talking, like, and I know that the listeners can't see you, but you light up. Like, you started to light up when you're talking about, like, just remembering Johnny Carson and all these amazing mm. interviews that you saw. <laughs> it, does that play into your security? Is that what you see now as, like, your security is, you know, another amazing interview? Or how do you define it? Well, I think that, really, that's a, a great question, really. Um, I, I think I define it as being able to go to bed at night and know that when I get up in the morning and all the mornings after that, that I'm going to have work to do. 
that there's, it's, I, I, I laugh often at the idea that I could get up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror and with any shred of seriousness, give myself a pep talk and say, now tear, we need you to get out there because the people, they're not gonna interview themselves. And it's like, <laughs> wow, really? Is that what you're really contributing <laughs> to the world is asking people questions? You know, so it's a, it's a really funny, it's a very distilled sort of job, right? You, as you said earlier, like the good life, it's like, I have a chocolate shop. <laughs> People put my chocolate in their faces, and then their faces light up, right? Like you were saying. I eat it all day long. Oh, it's so And great. ice cream. And for me, I think that that, yeah, that is uh, it's the responsibility of the show, which is to say that, you know, in roughly 24 hours from now, um, there's going to be some people showing up to an address in Park City where there's some lights and some cameras and some microphones and right and we're going to do this completely abstract thing but the the amount of joy that that the activity has given to me and the and the amount of joy that the people who come to visit and when when people leave and they know that you have given them a warmth for a good experience, whether that's talking about uh, a difficult subject or about th those in need, and I try to include as many people who are, who are in service to others through charities and all kinds of things, as much as I can, that, um, and, and the Steve Solbergs of the world <laughs> Which is funny that I say the Steve Solbergs of the world because that's a that's a completely sort of random <laughs> non-contextual statement. But Steve Solberg is a really hilarious guy Incredible. who also happens to be just such a lovely cat. And I, you know, it's like when he shows up and I watch his now I watch his comedy on on Facebook and and increasing numbers of places. We have a lot of funny people here in Salt Lake. I just happened to have seen Steve most recently, but I, I feel incredibly flattered that somebody like that would take the time out of their day to get in the car and drive up to Park City to sit and, and do this most abstracted of things. I'd be like, so, how are you? Right? It's yeah. just <laughs> the world, it's, I'm not curing cancer. I, I think that's my... But I actually think <laughs> it, it, the value of that is so huge. Like the value that you bring to a community, it, uh, I think everybody will judge themselves to what they think success is or what they think a value is. I think the value that you bring, some of the people have never even heard of some of the guests that you bring on or some of the charities that you bring on and the value for a community to have that. How is that? that you can't even put put a price on that I suppose not having been involved in valuation as a profession early in my adult life uh, I, I can the wheels are turning as to how I would make that calculation actually if I had to estimate <laughs> that but uh, in all seriousness no there isn't it's, it's the most inexorable ineffable 
ephemeral thing, experience, time. It's right. It's one hour, and we do it live, so it's over. It's, it starts and ends in sixty minutes. But I've never seen a guest leave crying on your show. They, I, no. I, 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 they they're always happy they're really and good at smiling. cutting away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have we have we have great camera people. <laughs> The makeup people no. are covering up the crying. No, it's about good vibes. I think, uh, again, that's completely my father's legacy. And I'm certainly influenced by the fact that my dad was very much of a, a positive mental attitude proponent at a time when this is a, just a list of cliches, but at a time when no one was talking about it, you guys, my dad was out there on the front lines saying hello and smiling at the people. He did that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was. He was a really practical guy that way, and I think that that's the way I see it as an adult. And if I've been able to create a positive environment and relationship with the community, which again is another sort of consulting speak cliche, but with right with everybody, you guys and musicians and filmmakers and politicians and all kinds of different people. And athletes. And athletes the absolutely and, yeah. yeah, the the uh, the hills are alive with the sound of Olympic medals clinking together. Clink, clink, clink. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you, do you have a, um, an interview that stands out as like memorable, like for whatever reason, maybe it was quirky and it didn't go at all how you had seen it going, going in or just something that stands out? Walk um, us through one of those. Well, I, I suppose the best response to your question is about someone who is sort of notable in pop culture or culture in general or whatever. Um, to be honest, most of the really memorable moments that I've had have been with people who, and not just during the Sundance Film Festival, but with people who aren't famous in a classical sense, but are incredibly accomplished. And there's just sort of a, a space in the world there that's, that's really interesting and cool and special. And Sundance is an easy thing to point to, but there are certainly some athletes who inhabit that same space. But I think, uh, I think of two instances that were sort of about wins when uh, uh, when an L could have easily gone up on the board. It was very early on in my Sundance experience, and the artist and performance artist Marina Abramovich, who's a New York-based person, and I'm not sure if she's Czech or uh, what her heritage is, but she's kind of from the, I would almost say, agitprop, performance art era, the 50s, 60s, and, and it continues into today and has done incredible, important work. And in the, in the world of, of serious art, her name is, is highly, highly respected. And she came to the television station, and I was new, and I was really stressed out because I had a, a ton of scheduling and stuff like that that I was doing during Sundance. 
she turned her gaze on me and it was pretty much like an X-Men sort of just like bored with lasers right through my skull and said, what questions are you going to ask me? And I said in a moment (laughs) of great grace, I guess. I kept her gaze and I said, all the questions you want me to. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just enough of Reich sort of out there a little bit, but also like, just like what really what was in my mind is what is the what is the one thing that I can say to get out of this particular conversation <laughs> yeah. immediately? There is no win-win. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I suppose the only thing I could have better said was, here is one million dollars. <laughs> uh, the other one is that I was, um, I was interviewing uh, Roger Sterling from Mad Men, John Slattery, who has will always forever have the distinction of being the final director to ever make a film with the great and missed Philip Seymour Hoffman. And so he was at Sundance for this film that he had ad- adapted a novel called God's Pocket about Philadelphia and kind of about like low level sort of gangster hood guys kind of thing. And uh, and Mad Men was really popular, ha- had been really popular for a while, and so he showed up to promote this film that he had written the screenplay and directed. And um, this was a few days in, so he'd probably been around and you know had a thousand panels and screenings and all that kind of stuff. And so he came into the studio, and uh, as soon as he walked in, it really was. It was like a like a supermodel or something was there. I mean, you could do, it wasn't just the ladies. Everybody was just like, wow, this guy's like, you know, very, talk about pop culture presence, you know, Mad yeah. Men was everywhere and he was a principal cast member. So it was, you know, it was a real buzz. And, and so, you know, there's always kind of people crowding around and I'm running around just trying to keep the show going. And I, but I'm scheduled to interview him. I scheduled myself to interview him, and I was excited to, you know, sit down with a guy who's really on a, you know, he's a guy on a hitting streak, right? It's like you want to hang out with a guy who's batting like 600, yeah. you know, <laughs> heading into the playoffs for the last, you know, three weeks or something. So I was I was out kind of in the common area, and he walked in with this group of people and I just heard him turn and say to one of the people that was with him is there a TV on the plane and for whatever reason everything clicked in my mind that it was it was Sunday in the AFC championship game to determine whether or not the Patriots go to the Super Bowl again, yeah. which is exactly what the story was. And I just remembered that he's a Boston guy originally. So he, was, he wanted to watch the Pats. And, and really more to assuage my own sort of nervousness at, at getting ready to sit down with this guy. And I, I think I'm always really sensitive to, to 
people being tired of being interviewed, right? Because that's, that's yeah. what you do. You get on the plane and go to Salt Lake, and then you take a car up to where people just shout at you for like seven days straight, and you have to come Smile. up with stuff and <laughs> right and, and 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 not react to terrible questions. I I assume uh, I'm not casting aspersion on anybody, but. In this case, I was really sensitive to that. And he was referring to the fact that basically after he did this interview with me, he was going to peace out and go get on the plane and leave. So he's already got, you know, one foot on the jetway. Yeah. And it just, when he asked about the TV, it all clicked in my mind. And again, I'm, I'm not really gifted this way, typically. <laughs> so in the moment, it was significant. And... I can't remember what my opening salvo was, but when we said hello, I immediately started talking about football. I didn't say a thing about his film. And we pretty quickly got to the fact that I had spent many years in San, in San Diego, so I was a huge Chargers fan, was as they say in the old sketch. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter that they moved to Los Angeles. I love L.A., but... The San Diego Chargers should be in San Diego. End of I, rant. I agree. <laughs> End of rant. Anyway, it was a really cool experience because in the moment I was really, like I say, I, I assuaged my own feelings of nervousness probably by starting talking to this you know, big-time guy about football. And like, pretty quickly I you know, sort of divulged that I had this love for San Diego and that I'd lived there a long time. And he just he said, man... I love Philip Rivers. That kid is a great, he's a great quarterback. And so we just had this like, we're like super relaxed. Finally, they're like, hey, you guys, you guys, uh, don't know if you remembered about the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, your name's John. You have a film here. Your name is Terry. You're responsible for interviewing John about his film. Can we get you guys like back on track? Here? You know, it was <laughs> totally like that. And and so, so we did an interview, and and I think the biggest thing. We, for me in that kind of case is to be respectful of that person and be respectful of the fact that they're getting interviewed a thousand times. And if you do kind of ask a dumb, thoughtless question, there are they've already lost their patience like two days ago. So the fact that they're gonna snap at you or shut you down is imminent and deserved. So be good at your job. And in that case, like I say, it just, it, it was really cool. I mean, he's a brilliant guy and wrote this really cool script and right, I mean, besides, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Christina Hendricks was in the film, and a bunch of other people, a bunch of really big-time actors. So, you know, it, 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 like I say, it helped me have a really good conversation with a guy that ultimately I felt a, as a peer to, not just as, oh, he's some famous guy, and I'm just a schlub trying to, you know, throw some index cards at him for the next five minutes. You have so, a bond now. Yeah, I'm sure he, he probably wonders where he put my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid assistant lost it. The, the, the and by wonders, I mean never, ever thinks about that, <laughs> ever. It's in his phone, Terry. You think so? Terry, Bill? he's going to listen to this, and he's going to be all he over is. it. He's a, He'll call you up. Well, I did notice that he, he does follow you guys on, on the gram. Well, that's because Dylan's amazing. Okay. Does, does that work? No, I'm just on Instagram way too much. I, I mean, if you go... If you go to uh, any of your posts, and I follow you, you know, I follow you guys both, so I see. It's Sorry, I know my time. mom doesn't even follow me, so like, I mean, so like, I mean, this is a good effort. Mm. I okay, I, this is well, this is greedy and selfish, but, but since 
we interview a lot of people. Yes. What tips do you have for us on when we interview people? Yeah. What could we do to make our job better? Oh, man. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Yeah, don't fuck I, it up. I think you should just have the best time you can. I, I envy, and, you know, maybe one of these days I'll get my, you know, B or C game together, maybe one day my A game, but uh, get a podcast of my own going. But I, I think for me, I really I enjoy the podcast format. It's longer. One of the things that is not a stress, but is definitely part of my job is time constraints and having to get from somewhere to somewhere and you know maybe point a and point b aren't exactly the ones that you start and end yeah but <laughs> don't worry we're going back to hootie oh we'll get back Touché. give this guy a mic oh you got one <laughs> <laughs> take my mic away that's right that's right no way man no way no i don't have tips for you guys because the beauty of of podcasting and of having these longer form conversations is is that you get to wander and meander and you know maybe end up somewhere that's way different than what you expected and more importantly you know this it's funny that the term is super annuated podcast there's no pod anymore we don't have an ipod <laughs> that's gone but that this format is just Right? It's just rolling the basketball into the gymnasium. It's wide open, and you guys—you know—there are people that are having, you know, podcast sessions right now about gardening and about, you know, the maintenance of of honeybee hives and every single thing you can imagine. And so, you know, you guys have a a podcast called Your Creativity. That's, to me, that's a, a really great title. I, it feels to me like maybe more than any other podcast that comes to mind it's like it, it sort of serves the listener by including the listener it doesn't say our creativity or this here guy's creativity <laughs> which you have a person each time and a guest but i think it sort of reflects back onto the audience and uh high fives all around about that well, that's completely you. on dylan it would have been Steve's creativity. <laughs> if it was my say, it would have been all about me. Me, me, me. That's really funny. It, it's totally different. And I totally believe that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, looking back, what are your biggest regrets? Or do you have any? Did you turn them into positives? I think... Whether or not I've turned them into positives, I think that, to me personally, life is a, a journey to try and get within a couple of area codes of, of self-honesty and self-awareness. And I think I've probably owned my mistakes and probably as I look back now there are times when I was I think very earnest in trying to do what had been defined whether by me or by others as the right thing at a particular time 
I think that I, I was earnest in that. I wish I could have just been a business guy and gotten a, a degree and gone out and just you know, set up some sort of shop and been that guy forever and ever and made, you know, just whatever an American dream amount of money is according to whether or not you want to live in Cleveland or La Jolla or Davenport or Palm Springs. But I, I had to, I had to confront myself by making tons of mistakes when I wasn't doing the, any work of looking in the mirror and going, dude, you just, you just gotta sing, man. But it's, it's it kind of is. It really is like that's, I think the great theme of my life is that I love to perform, and it took a really long time to really truly embrace that. And I got lucky the universe gave me a, uh, an unique opportunity to do that. So, uh, you know, I couldn't have gotten to where I am right now, which is it, it just incredible. I still say that, you know, half of the days of the week I wake up and I go, man, you guys had this crazy dream, man. I dreamed that I had my own TV show. What? It's like, it's a you have to pinch yourself because that, yeah. that, that's so, not a dream, man. That's your life. No raw regrets. <laughs> All those mistakes. I mean, they're, you know, I think to me, the only regret things are um, whether or not you were a just and good person at any particular time in your life. And um, I've certainly, I'll certainly claim my share of jerkbag behaviors over the years but I think I've always had a fairly innate sense to try to be a good person to my fellow human beings and so if I had any regrets it would probably be just regrets at my own poor behavior that created negative situations or alienated people or made people upset and uh, you know to be continued so and yeah. sometimes that's the only way to learn mm -hmm. certain lessons in life is for to occur truly so yeah I guess I, I guess even while chuckling about it um, no regrets I, I it's turned out pretty good so far I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I have more goals than I've ever had I'm not sure that I know how to get with the whole implementation phase right at the current moment I'm not quite ready for whatever rollout should be happening but to even get to be in this position and, and I'm incredibly flattered, you know, that you guys would ask me to come and do a thing like this. And of course, our, our friend Chris Hollifield and Guy Seidel, the, the Dirt Pod podcast, it, like I say, this is a great, cool format. And so to get to hang out with you guys and they're way cooler than we are. No, it's not it's true, man. There. This is this is where right. it's at right here. Hash chocolates. Squad in the house. This <laughs> <laughs> we're all passed out with chocolate. So, I love it. So you mentioned the business training you had at the beginning of your career. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that because it was about, you know, properties management. Um, well, um, yeah. Uh, finance and uh, valuation as, yeah, a, valuation. as a, uh, a discipline. My dad was a... a business guy he was an accountant and ran a credit union for many years so in some ways he was you could say he was the people's banker did, did going to drake have any influence on some of that like 
because that's Warren Buffett heaven, like in that area. Well, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, Warren Buffett certainly wasn't, uh, and I'm holding up my air quotes for those of you listening along at home, Warren Buffett. He wasn't Warren Buffett yet, but um, again, this security thing, I think, you know, my parents, my dad especially, I was a good student, so I think he looked at it and went, well, let's get this kid into business and, you know, he can do well and, right, be secure, have a nice life. And uh, I certainly was very desirous to, to make my parents happy. They were very good to me. And so the payback that really wasn't all that hard was to just, you know, study and get good grades. And I had academic success as a backing, so I continued on that road. And I, I think if I could look back at whatever inference my thinking had at that time was like, well, you know, I had a great time in high school playing in bands and being in theater and doing musicals and getting to, you know, sing some big Broadway thing, you know, at the footlights of the stage. And I really enjoyed that very, very much. And I think I figured, oh, I can just go to school, get a good degree, go make whatever amount of money and, and just be like a happy guy to, you know, right, have a, a band room in the basement of my nice ho home and play with the fellas on weekends or something. And that, that, I mean, that's just, that's a complete caricature of a real life. And so I, I worked for a long time in, in finance, did a lot of litigation support in uh, bankruptcy proceedings. I worked on the Marvel Comics bankruptcy as the fellas at Jeffries and Company were like, hey, what, what kind of money could we make out of the licensing operations for Marvel Comics if they ran it right and they got a Spider-Man movie out there? And so we did the, those, I mean, they're just estimates. It's all you can do, but there's a... It there's seems a, to work out for them. There's a process. Yes, it's worked <laughs> out okay. Once they got the rights situation figured out for the first Spider-Man movie, they've been off to the races ever since. But... Um, yeah, you know, there's a there's a, a big world of opportunity out there, and I was certainly ushered to a lot of <laughs> junctures where if I would have just leaned into it and and said, you know, I, I'm at peace with taking this path and following this road, I could have done very nicely and had uh, a nice life. Like I say, I was working in La Jolla, in, in California, in San Diego, and uh, for a really cool and successful company, but I just wasn't a happy person. And I was always, as I look back now, it's, it really truly is, it's not almost comical, it's completely comical how much self-sabotage I engaged in <laughs> over the years. And uh, yeah, I guess I just had to fail my way to the place where it was possible for me to even be aware that this unique thing, this Park City Television interview, interview. I never wish to interview, but I didn't even know, hey, well, Johnny Carson does that, and he's doing that, so, or Jay Leno does that, or Letterman does that. Now, it seems like there's a lot of people doing it. Yeah. But I read a great interview with Jimmy Kimmel. I said, you know, what about this thing? What about this talk show host thing? Jimmy Kimmel, being the really smart guy that he is, said, well, you know, there used to be three guys that made $20 million a year, and, you know, the future is that there's going to be, like, 
200 guys or gals who are going to make like 150 a year. And I think the point that he was sort of making was that that's a good thing, that it's the universe doesn't need people making $20 million a year, but the universe does need 200 really good interviewers who are entertaining and engaging and caring to, to do that. So, yeah, uh, Conan went over to TBS. Who, who would have thought years ago that TBS right? would ever right. have talk shows? Yeah. It's just and, and, and he's, he's honestly, Conan is probably my favorite because he's kind of the most obtuse but he's, he's just so gifted, and I've been watching a ton of his recent trip to Italy, and I'm not sure, there's a guy that he took along who's Jordan. obviously, is that, I, I don't yeah, know who that person is. Yeah, one of his is. producers, Jordan. Oh, is I've that what it is, he's a producer? And <laughs> they're, they're so does, deeply Jordan funny. does not do anything for Conan. He sits there and, and shows up late, and yeah. So they went to, to Italy together. Yeah, absolutely. So hilariously fantastic. Um, but, yeah, I really think that, to me, Conan is just, he's just the standard because it's like he got everything that that Letterman brought to the table when, when that was new and different. And when yeah. it was like somehow it was a thing to be sort of beholden and considered that Letterman wore wrestling shoes. You know, like that was like, that was that was a that was not maybe not a debated but a hotly discussed topic in my world. You know, at that time was like, what's this, le- what's this Letterman guy up to, man? I think he's putting one over on us with the wrestling <laughs> shoes. We gotta, we gotta crack this case open and figure that out. You know, but it was so great, like just the fact that he would do something as rando as to put on a pair of wrestling shoes and go out and ho- host a major talk show on on a big network. And um, I think Conan definitely has taken that inspiration and, and really run with it in amazing ways. And like, I mean, he was just watching a, a bit the other night, and, and of course he's, he references, even after all these years, he's like, well, you know, being over here on the ratings juggernaut TBS, you know, <laughs> so it's like he's putting down the very guys who put him out there. But he just does it in such a great way. And, of course, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what makes that funny is yeah. that it's true. He is on TBS, and he's found a home, and it's okay. Man, are you kidding me? If I got, if I got T and B, I wouldn't even need the S. I'd be the happiest guy in the world. So, Do you have a pre-interview routine or a good luck charm? Do you wear the same shoes on an interview? Do you have... No, I... I I realize that the stoke, to use the surfing term, the passion, to use the artist term, <laughs> that I have for getting to do this is my mojo. It, I don't need a talisman that I could forget at home and be like, oh, no, I can't do the show because I don't have my... I'm throwing special. out an idea for you. Okay. So Tyson... Haskins. Superstar. I think you should rub his head every, like, pregame. Oh, yeah. Like, just go up to Tyson. <laughs> just give him, like, just rub his head for good luck before each show. I'm, I'm just, 
envisioning Tyson rolling his He's not going to really sh- know idea. how to react to no, it. No, he's not. But don't tell him where you got the idea. But it could be a good ritual. I don't know, man. I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to have to sit with that one. I'm going to have to live into that. <laughs> That's right. That's funny. Oh, man. <laughs> Dylan, you're up. You have... Your, uh, you have your usual questions. Well, I don't want to do the bonus questions yet. I want to talk a little bit longer. Um, Sweet. Every night I get a, a good laugh out of whoever is around that I can see their reaction. And I usually, I've, I've gotten so that I, it gets a bigger laugh at the beginning of the show. I'll stand oftentimes. I used to kind of do a, a little bit of a stand-up on the day's news events. I, I don't do that quite so much anymore. But if I'm standing on the band stage, and I say, hey, you know, the, the standard stuff, welcome to the show. Jesus, is great you guys. Spring has sprung. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, yeah, everybody. You know, it's going to do... It's kind of that general recitation. Oh, it's Monday. It's great to be back. You know, I, I love doing my job so much that I can't wait. So you do about two minutes of that. And as I'm... Kind of crowd work to, type stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and as I'm getting ready to, to introduce the band, I'll say something to the effect of, uh, by popular demand, this particular segment has been pushed earlier and earlier in the show where, right, the, where the audience needs Terry to stop talking. So it's already going to happen. <laughs> Terry's going to stop talking and everybody can get behind that. Ladies and gentlemen, Ginger in the chair, you're right. But, but like that always gets a laugh. It's like, Terry, could please, I mean, I don't know what your faith is, bro. For the love of will God, you, will, will just you shut please up. pray to your deity <laughs> so that you can stop talking? Could you do that? <laughs> Um, the show, are there directions that you wanted to take with it that, you know, the stations kind of held back on, or do they kind of give you kind of free range of... Um, it's a good three-part question. We're under new-ish ownership, Deerfield Media, which is a, a company from back east that owns a number of television stations that are uh, variously affiliated, CW, uh, network affiliates, etc. Went in a different direction last summer in purchasing uh, Park City Television from Stanton Jones, its longtime owner, and I was around for a long time. I worked for Stanton for a long time and had really absolute freedom, and so I think I had the opportunity to kind of find my spot where I'm comfortable with. I, I think, I think being mean spirited. I mean, that's just not my function in life in general. Right. And I, I'm. There's plenty of that out there. <laughs> you know, we we have we have a backlog. It was an inventory backlog of mean spiritedness. So as far as wanting to be controversial or wanting to push the envelope. Uh, Deerfield's been fantastic. I mean, they really have uh, Danielle Turner, our GM, and uh, Steve Mumblow, who is the, uh, the principal owner of Deerfield Media, 
have continued to let me do what I do, and I think that the the unspoken agreement that was sort of in a way in place based on who I had already become as as a, a broadcaster, as an interviewer, as a host. I think that one of the reasons that they've been kind enough to let me continue to sort of do what I do without them being heavy-handed in any way at all, because they have not, is I hope is because they trust that I, I am a person of conscience and taste <laughs> in some measure by some definition, but that even if I have the folks from Truce, uh, which is the uh, patient rights organization uh, together for responsible use in cannabis education, my very good friend and lovely human being, Christine Stenquist, is advocating on, on the Hill here in Utah and the state legislature and the House and Senate for, for patients' uh, access to uh, medical cannabis. And, uh, you know, uh, to me that's, and I don't mean to sound like I'm maybe parroting their talking points because I'm not. I'm just saying that as a human being, I'm about tolerance and compassion. And I don't think that, that medical cannabis for patients... Uh, who could benefit from those substances is a political issue. I think it's a human rights issue. <laughs> and that's about as political as I get right there, really. Uh, like I say, I, I think that when I find myself devolving into some sort of negative viewpoint or frame of mind, I, I know I'm doing something wrong. And it's like, well, the world... I, the, no, how about you're responsible for yourself, bro? So if you want to, if you want to be happy and not be maddened by, there's always going to be maddening things in the world. The world is always going to be a terrible place or a beautiful place, depending on what you decide it is and how you create the space around you. So in that sense, uh, I think that I, I, I don't, I don't think in this is going to be a corny thing to say, but in my world. There isn't anything controversial um, because I'm I'm not going to use my position to put Deerfield Media in, you know, in a, a position that they may be uncomfortable with. Um, you know, these I use the phrase Deerfield Media as an entity, but these are people that I that I work with and that I work for, and I'm fortunate that I'm a grown up enough guy to to be able to see. Uh, every day how fortunate I am to get to do what I do and to be able to build an awareness not just for the benefit of Park City Television but to be able to be invited to do things like this it's because of that hosty job <laughs> that you guys are calling me up I was around <laughs> for a long time and y'all weren't calling me <laughs> until I got that hosty job so uh, I'm, I feel fortunate for that and like I say I to circle back all the way to your question, I don't, I don't feel restricted in that way. I think that if, if kindness, tolerance, compassion, and uh, whatever enlightenment means to pass information back and forth is the coolest thing I could be doing, that's what I'm trying to do. So I, I can't see us coming into contact in that regard. I mean, you know, some days I have a you know, a, a metal band that's a little bit different vibe than uh, Six Feet in the Pine or, you know, some 
a meditative bluegrass or something, yeah. but um, but that's that's a different thing than than the environment and politics and right. And uh, I'm not about point counterpoint, right? That's not. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to talk to everybody, but I'm not trying to pit people and say, okay, well, today's issue is lawnmower reform here from the National Association. <laughs> Toro of or Honda? Which lawnmower is better? Hashtag fight me. <laughs> <laughs> Toro rules. Go John Deere. Yes, John Deere comes in yes, for the win at the end. Steve, you're stealing it, man. <laughs> I grew up about 30 minutes from the John Deere headquarters in Moline, Illinois, so that... that that punchline that you just <laughs> slid out there is right on time. John for me. here for the. <laughs> is the show available to watch in Salt Lake? Sure, we're on Comcast. Okay. You also uh, stream it live. We do, we do. We're on um, Comcast on channel 102, and uh, our website address is parkcity.tv which people really want to put a com on the end, but it's just dot .tv, and if you think about it, that's pretty cool, Park City. What, so, Park City TV, what is your website? It's Park City <laughs> TV. Well, what else, though? Just, just that. that. Yeah. Parkcity.tv, and we have figured out a way to not just respect, but abide by the rules of uh, facebookyourlife.com where we do uh, Facebook Live the show, but we had to get a fix because we couldn't air ads, our ads that air on our channel on Facebook because that's value and views that if we're not cutting Facebook in on those, that is a no and a no. They kind of, they, the way that they've sort of put it together now is no, no. That's like the new <laughs> thing, it's an evolution. Um, but uh, we figured a, a, a way around that so that we're not showing those ads, which, of course, like I say, I mean, Facebook is the, it's where everybody's hanging out. So. You're not showing those ads. Although this cold Dr. Pepper, which is refreshing <laughs> my... You know, I'd love to answer that question right now, Dylan, but I've got to take a quick break Thank for you. a delicious hatch. Family chocolate. Family chocolate. <laughs> I'll and, be right back. And ice cream. <laughs> Do you want a hot chocolate too? We can we can give you whatever you want. I love it. It's a it's really is a magical place. I've been here before, and I think I think maybe the last time that I was here, Steve was before you and I had met. I mean, maybe we said hello. You were too good for me. Mm, that's not really the direction that I'd take it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's totally it's totally true. Terry's way that's too probably the hardest me. question of the interview, <laughs> right, <laughs> Steve? Just go ahead and get on over to 60 Minutes, will you? <laughs> waiting, damn it. Yeah, they're waiting they've got for a, the handcuffs. They've got, a <laughs> <laughs> they've got a dressing room with your name on the Just door. Just Chocolate shop owner in cuffs. That's right. Get these Andy's candies out of here. <laughs> it's not even real chocolate. All right, oh. well, should we wrap this up with the bonus questions? Yeah, I'm late, man. I got to be at family stuff. Uh, I do too. You, you know, Terry's Terry's getting in on my mom time. I'm sorry, you guys. Really, it's potluck. Please. I mean, it's an open house. It'll be legit. Sounds good. I love you, potluck. You come hang out with my mom. It's very Iowa. I got I got band practice, bro. 
Actually, I got band practice just about right around the corner from we here. We should blow off your band practice. Come hang with my mom, and it, 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 it'll be loads of fun. I bet there's potato salad, and there might be funeral potatoes. Well, see, you're making this a very it's a really good argument. Very <laughs> difficult <laughs> offer to even act like I, I could refuse. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll is so passe. Nobody even plays it anymore. You ask your bonus question, and then I'm going to ask a different one today. Okay. My, uh, my first bonus question is, uh, your favorite Muppet and why? Animal, but not for the typical reasons. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to go heavy aesthetic on this. That, for me, I don't know about for anyone else, but I think certainly if you take a look at his popularity over the years, that um, I think Animal appeals to the collective unconscious in a way that certainly resonates for me because the the Muppets are a family. That's a thing. What even, even though there's uh, interspecies casting, uh, th they are a family, and Animal has this freedom of expression that, to me, is what matters. I did, I did want to play drums a little bit when I was a kid, but not, not for too long, and, and that urge has not stuck by but there was no I mean you know if if the if the owners and creators of the Muppets could figure out how to have a slash Muppet who was the lead guitar player for the Muppet band then he would be immediately instantaneously become my favorite Muppet but but I think <laughs> of, of Animal kind of as a placeholder for the day when all becomes right in the world and Slash becomes a Muppet because Slash is the greatest. I think he's, I think he's maybe, probably, really, probably the greatest person who ever lived. Slash. Along with? Uh, you, Steve? Uh, no. <laughs> no, Hootie and the Blowfish, man. Like, oh, we were going man, back like I totally You know Darius it. Rucker is, like, just as badass <laughs> as Slash. In his own way. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Steve warned you that he, he was going to come back around. He did, and I can't believe this. See, this is why I don't do stand-up, because I really, I'm a hack, and I know it. And I, I should have been there. It was like, it was like you gave me the alley-oop pass to just, I, I didn't even really have to dunk it. I just had to just sort of tip it in. And somehow I managed to break an no, ankle. No, you dribbled it down the court. I dribbled it <laughs> off my foot. Out of it was good. It was all good. It's totally good. Oh, you guys are awesome. And then the other bonus question is, yes, in sir. the movie of your life, who would play you? Mm. Which phase of my life? That, that <laughs> <laughs> your choice. I kept the question vague for a reason. Man, who would play me? Honestly, I think the person who could probably do the best respectful rendition of, of sort of what my 
essential earnest over the topness is would be my nephew Connor. He's uh, well, he's a really gifted artist. Uh, he's a great singer and and is a, a really good guitar player too. Yeah, but mostly I remember identifying with Connor when he was at various ages, especially as he got a little bit older by the time he was 10, 11, 12 years old, and Connor's, I don't know, Connor's 30, but uh, he's the second son of my oldest sister, Susan. So, uh, yeah, he might be 30, might be over 30. In any case, I, I always felt like when I saw Connor at 15, I, I, like, it, such a thing never occurred to me of like, Oh, there's someone who reminds me of me. Like, that sounds like a little precious sort of thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind uh, of always thought that about about uh, Connor Leonard, Connor Burden Leonard. Yeah, I think he would probably be the guy to um, t to play me. And also, he's a lot uh, fitter than I am, so I would look great in the biopic. All <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. uh, <laughs> oh, the biopic. Okay, my closing question. Yes, your closing question. Is yes, sir. Which band or musician are you listening to on your way home? Mm. I have a list, so I'm I'm looking to my list right now. For our listeners who can't see, he's right. accessing. He's his, really pulling up his phone. His digital device. So. I've been working on some music with my friends Paul and Nate and uh, Paul Dittman, a really lovely bass player, uh, wrote this kind of almost like an exercise, like warming up before practice. And I heard it and immediately just fell in love with this. It's basically kind of a bossa nova. Um, right, and just like, yeah, very Brazilian, very light and really cool. So that, and when I heard him play it, I said, dude, dude, one more time, I'm going to use the word dude, and then I'm going to get to my point, which is that we need to do that. We need to make a song. So I started writing lyrics, and immediately I went to um, the interwebs and searched up, because I was familiar with the fact that uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim is perhaps the most famous Brazilian progenitor of Bossa Nova, and, and I really had this, it's been a long time since I've sort of seen the clouds part for like music that I need to be listening to, that I really need to put into my soul to be completely over the top about it. So I'm gonna be listening to Bossa Nova. Also my friend Nate told me about uh, Grupo Revelecao and they are uh, Pagode, which I guess is a little different style than Bossa Nova, but sort of similar, and I think it's a Brazilian music. So when people that I dig give me recommendations like that, I try to really make an effort. It's like they were kind enough to associate me with something in their mind, so I need to take advantage of that gift and like go get it. So. I'm totally in that style of music, which is not what I'm playing at all, but I'm all about the bossa nova, so. It's good stuff. Yeah. I have a CD buried somewhere. Right. That has some good stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. I've, li I've heard it before, 
I've listened to it before, but for whatever reason, it's just this particular time in my life that, you know, sometimes you, you get the, the, the God wink, as my buddy Eric Morley would say, and you go, oh, 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 something's happening. I should pay attention. Excuse me. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Bossa Nova was definitely doing that. So I've been, I've been listening to a bunch of Joe Beam this week and, and trying to also respectfully figure out a vocal to go for this tune that we're working on that I'm going to go work on right after this because I can't go to Potluck, Steve. I'm so sorry, buddy. It was the potato salad. Well, Madonna Burden made the best potato salad in the world <laughs> move, to the, move to the next plane with Madonna Burden. That's all I'm going to say on the subject. All right. <laughs> Well, Salt Lake and Park City are definitely better because of you. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. You, this is really fun to hang out, and, and you guys have a great thing you're doing here. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to, to get to be here, and super fun time. Thank you. Podcast is done, man.